Welcome to Inside India by UTI International. I'm your host, Ben Haywood. Join me as I embark on an exciting journey through the new and modern India. From the Dabawalas to the Tatas and the Ambanis, let's see what the future may hold for the world's largest democracy. In this series, we feature conversations with business and economic leaders who have lived and breathed the story of India as they tell us their version of what makes this such a compelling and exciting growth opportunity in the 21st century. Stay tuned. The sleepy world of mattress production might not be the sexiest of business models, yet mattresses are no longer viewed solely as consumer staples. They are a sign of comfort and quality of life. And in recent years, we have seen the explosion of mattress innovators and startups from all over the world. In India, where mattresses such as the ones we know here in the Western world are still very much perceived to be a luxury item, the growth of the mattress market is skyrocketing. This is primarily attributed to factors such as rising income levels, growing health consciousness, and the growth of the real estate and hospitality industries. There has been a visible shift in consumer perceptions where the main focus is now on comfort and functionality as incomes increase. Adapting to the changing times, mattress manufacturing companies in India have adopted innovative technologies and products to ensure customer satisfaction and improve sleep quality for swathes of upper middle class Indians. To discuss all of this and more, I have the pleasure of speaking today with Raul Gautam, the Chairman and Managing Director of Sheila Foam, one of the largest manufacturers of mattresses and foams in India. Raul is the man behind the success of Sheila Foam, a company founded in 1971 by his late mother, Sheila Gautam, who acquired a government license to manufacture foam. The business has scaled great heights under their leadership as they have sold hundreds of thousands of mattresses on the Indian subcontinent over the last four decades. With the 1993 launch of the flagship brand Sleepwell, the company embarked on a remarkable journey of manufacturing and producing mattresses and other foam-related products, and has now branched out beyond India with factories and manufacturing hubs in Australasia and Europe. Join me as we hear from one of India's most popular and experienced CEOs in this quirky yet vital subsector of the consumer staples industry. I'm Ben Haywood, and you're listening to Inside India. Well, hello, Raul. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and, and, and talking to me about you and your business. It's great to have you with us. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. And so am I. Excellent stuff. Well, we're going to dive straight in. And like most guests, I get them to take us right back to the beginning. And, and your story with Sheila Foam or your family story with Sheila Foam is incredibly interesting. So if you could take us back, I think it's over 50 years ago to your mother and how she started Sheila Foam, that would be fantastic. Yeah, thank you, Ben. You're quite right that this is a reasonably old company now. We started way back in 1971. So my mother was a housewife till then. Uh, father was in the army and we kept uh, moving all around the country. And then he passed away in 1969. And that is the time that she decided to start something different in life. And she did try her hand at education or completing her graduation, etc. But nothing was working. And then came along this opportunity to get a license for manufacturing flexible polyurethane foam. I was 16 and a half at that time. So both of us formed this company, started this product, and the whole journey of the last 51, 52 years had that beginning. But I must say that for the next 
15, 20 years, nothing much happened. Everything moved slowly. The country was short of raw materials, was short on foreign exchange, was short on machinery, technology, etc. And so we used to produce very little. Just as a comparison to what we did at that time and what we do today, that time was we were selling about a truckload per week. And today we are selling close to 150 trucks a day. So that's the level of progress that that has happened. From 1990 onwards, the country also started opening up, relaxing the rules a little bit, and you could go ahead and set up businesses across the country. The products that we manufacture, which is flexible polyurethane foam, is a very voluminous item, and it's also a soft item. So transporting it across was expensive, and it was also, the roads were not so good, the trucks were not so good, so you had to be very careful on ensuring that there were no damages to the product. But all this naturally meant that you needed to produce as close to the markets as possible. And therefore, we started expanding. And today we have six locations where we manufacture foam. And we have another five, totaling to about 11, or totaling to 11, where we make uh, mattresses. If I go back to the 90s, once I said that they were, we were expanding and setting up these units, one of the major applications of uh, polyurethane foam was mattresses. And unfortunately in India, at that time, foam mattresses were not uh, order of the day. And just uh, by the way, you did mention about spring mattresses before we started. Even on a spring mattress, there is more foam than a foam mattress to ensure that it's comfortable and that's also you needed the foam. But just because of the availability of raw materials and the foreign exchange and all that kind of thing, everything was very expensive. And the product then, that time, was a product called rubberized coir that was being used. We move today. We have these modern mattresses that we manufacture. But still, as a potential, and to give you some idea, 65 to 70% of the country still sleeps on some kind of cotton mattresses or some daris and chatais, as we call them. And only 30% or less is sleeping on some kind of a modern mattress. Therefore, the opportunity to expand is there. But that's our position. We make the foam today. We make mattresses. We distribute our products through exclusive channels of 150 distributors across the country and about 5,000 exclusive showrooms across the country. Fascinating. And I think it's so Sheila Foam is sort of the parent entity and then you have sub-brands. So is it Sleepwell is the mattress brand now that produces the high-end spraying or foam mattresses? Is that right? Yes, Ben, that's right. So Sheila Foam is the parent entity and that's today also a listed entity. The products that we make under it, all the sleeping products, the mattresses, pillows, and even some bed sheets and duvets is all done under the brand Sleepwell. While we do manufacture for other applications and they have trade brands or B2B brands which are for a particular product. Fantastic. And I think, you know, the aim of this podcast is always to draw it back to the India story. And I was saying to you just before we started recording, we've had a lot of fintech and digital disruptors and all very interesting on this season. But 
to finish the season with something as simple as a mattress manufacturer with just selling mattresses in a country where 70% of people don't have a mattress. I mean, that to me is the India story right there in, in plain sight, that there's just so much demand and runway for growth ahead of you, yet you're a business that's nearly or, or over 50 years old. So you're in a very sweet spot where you have a lot of experience, but now, and I'm sure you can articulate this far better than I can, you're seeing more and more Indians come into more and more money and things like upgrading their quality of sleep, their mattresses, that must be one of the first things you see them looking to do as they get more disposable income. Absolutely, uh, Ben, you're spot on on that. Although I would just take the last two, two and a half years away because of these COVID aberrations that we've had. But otherwise, it's been a steady growth of definitely double digit, but closer to 15%, 13, 14, 15%. And the opportunity, as we say, is large for ensuring mattresses for every Indian. There is a strong legacy existing of why modern mattresses uh, could not find their way into the homes earlier, but we are overcoming the legacy. And let me say that it entirely depends on us as a company and the industry as a whole that we are in to increase in improve the awareness of the product and offer good sleep, which we're doing, but still could do much better. And what is the landscape like in India? Are there a lot of foreign players trying to enter the market? Um, you must command a bit of competitive advantage knowing the country as well as you do and having that 50-year track record of operating. But we see and I talk to people the whole time that go, wow, India, you know, 1.3 billion people, aspirational, middle class, wanting to spend more money. And foreign businesses just kind of think they can go to India and start selling mattresses. What's your experience of that been like? So foreign players coming in have had a lot of challenges. And that's one, because India is an extremely diverse country, culturally as well as even climate-wise, etc. And therefore, the mattresses that you need are very different for very different areas. Besides the segmentation on the price side, there is also a segmentation based on the location or the climate of that area. The other challenge that the foreign players face is that there is no standardization of sizes in India. Like we operate in Australia or in Spain, there are four standard sizes, single, double, queen, king. At best, there could be a super king that could be there. But in India, virtually every bed has been independently and individually manufactured. And therefore, the size is, is different. We have standard sizes, 26 standard sizes, but still only 30% of the business is on standard sizes and 70% is still on custom-made sizes. So that's a challenge which cannot be overcome while importing mattresses. And somehow the foreign brands have still not come to take care of this idea. And they do cater. I mean, there are some foreign brands are there, but it would be catering to, I would say, less than half a percent of the population up there or, or even less than that. And they are terribly expensive. People don't think that they should spend so much of money for a mattress. <laughs> Fascinating. And again, you see that the level of customization you need to operate in a market like India, I think it's unlike any other country in the world. And, and that is, a, again, a recurring theme that is coming through on, on this podcast every episode. Now, you mentioned you touched on it a little bit just a while ago, short while ago, you are a listed business, you have been for some time. Again, be so curious to get your thoughts on, on how 
being a listed business in India has changed over the last 10, 15 years. We see investors asking us constantly about things like ESG. I imagine you are a manufacturer. So part two to the question is, how do you ensure that your product, your business practices are sustainable, they're green? And how do you kind of satisfy investors from that perspective? So Ben, it's a, it's a pretty long question that you've asked. But let me just begin by saying that we listed ourselves in 2016. And we did it for, I won't say all kinds of wrong reasons, but for definitely non-standard reasons. It was not to raise funds, but it was just to get a little more or formalized, organized, attract better talent, good for the brand to grow. And in the eventuality that we would need funds for the possibility of a large acquisition inside or outside India, we would be very quickly because the liquidity would be there. The listing brought that uh, liquidity. So those were primarily the reasons. Six years have gone by, and I would say I do not even regret it one bit. Uh, all that we started off, it has done. Yes, there is an additional regimentation coming in on account of investors. There is a quarter-on-quarter quarter results that we need to talk about and we need to explain. But we find that as a big uh, learning exercise and for us to pick up uh, the points, the questions that those are being asked and to sort of grow on them. On ESG, let me just say this, that it's a newer phenomena in India. We were earlier having bits and parts of it. For example, just a couple of days back, the first notification on a single-use plastic has come about. Now, India being India, the implementation of these things is takes their time and it has to. And the consumer also needs to have that awareness. The manufacturers need to first take care of the economic necessities before coming into products like or issues like environment or society and governance matters. However, there is a top set of companies which have begun talking about it. We are one of them. And there is already a kind of a platform created. We have drawn up our first few steps that we need to do, like recyclability of our product, like looking at some of the inputs that we use, that they are compliant with the, with the environment. Wherever our factories are, uh, we do take care of the people uh, living in and around us. We do look at uh, no children, no child labor. We do look at gender neutrality. So all these things are being talked about. But at the moment, I would say we would have four projects, which, you see, unfortunately, in ESG, there are no benchmarks. There are no guidelines existing. So you create your own benchmark. And you say that you have to improve from here. And so we've taken four items. And on that, we have begun work. But I would say because I'm in connected or I'm connected with, with what's happening in Europe or what's happening in Australia, in India, we're far behind them. However, these issues are coming to the fore. And we fully understand that business people should look at it from risk mitigation perspective. After all, we are in business to do now and in the future, and some of these issues that we, if we do not attend to them, they could become huge risks as far as the future is concerned. Second, we also look at the whole program of ESG as uh, potential future businesses that it could 
create, you know, for us. And um, so I see that there is a potential for both of these issues. Absolutely. And, and is there a degree already of recycling material that goes into kind of mattress manufacturing? I don't know a lot about mattresses, I have to admit, but I can't imagine it's the easiest thing to use kind of recycled materials, just given a hygiene perspective and all of that. Yeah. So there are two aspects to it. One is the foam recycling. So the foam part of it, all the small little pieces, etc., that get otherwise in any other place would have landed up in a landfill. They we, we shred them and then kind of recombine them together to make a slab, which is then used as a mattress. And this is called as rebonded foam. As far as mattresses are concerned, uh, look, globally, it's not an easy job to collect the mattresses back and strip them apart and the foam going to where it can be used and the steel going to where it can. But in India, we have already started that progress. There are three agencies which are working toward. It is not an economically viable uh, project, but there is enough funding coming into it. So all I can say is, project is has started and so on and it's improving every year you know but we're very still very extremely small yeah and and again and you, i think that another theme that has come throughout this season and last season is when we talk about esg with founders of businesses and ceos is there is it always a willingness and acknowledgement that you guys as business owners want to better your businesses and mitigate risk going forward and Yes, India might not be where somewhere like Scandinavia is on, on ESG, but the, the appetite to engage on ESG is absolutely there, which I think investors find incredibly reassuring. Now, we've touched upon it a couple of times, and I want to drill into why you have chosen to expand the business overseas with such strong growth runway ahead of you in, in a market like India. Why go to New Zealand, Australia, and Europe, in Spain as well, and do business there when one could argue that everything you need is there in your home market. So if you look at the home market, yes, there is a great potential. And uh, let's start from the foam side as well and the mattress side both. So on the foam, if we compare ourselves to any other developing country, on a per capita basis, we are one-tenth or one-fifteenth of what they would use. I'm talking of countries like Brazil and some of the African countries and, and even Russia, that we are very small. All the same, there is production, there is a reasonable growth of 10 to 15% per annum. But the moment you want a larger growth than that, there is bloodshed. And therefore, it makes more sense to go into, let's not call greener pastures, but to take your experiences and your learnings and your formulations to other geographies. And that's one part where the market doesn't matter so much. For foam, we have the raw materials. We have the technology, we have the formulations, we have the experience, and we have a few IPs also and some intellectual properties which are there. These are perfectly usable in other geographies, and that's what we have done in Australia. We've done that in Spain. When you go to the mattress side, mattress side, I'm in complete agreement with you that if we would never foray into another country, we don't understand the culture, we don't know the nuances. And India has a huge potential already existing. And therefore, we are uh, on that side, we are growing. We would put all our might uh, behind expanding into India. In fact, one of our uh, latest projects, which got a little delayed uh, on account of the, the war up there, uh, Ukraine, some special steel had to come for manufacturing the machine from Ukraine. 
and then that's got delayed. That product that we are, it's a new plant that we are establishing in the center of India. And that product is only designed for the rural part of India, the 65, 70% of the people that I talked to you about. How do we make a product which is appropriate for them? How do we compress it and transport it? And how do we make it durable enough and uh, affordable enough so that it can match with what they locally use? Huge potential. As I said, it's uh, 65 to 70% of the Indians sleep that way. So the potential for that in India exists, and we would pursue that. However, foam and foam manufacturing, we could do it anywhere else. And whatever there is a reasonable opportunity, we would consider that. You would look at it. Fascinating. There hasn't been an episode in the, in the last couple of seasons where I haven't talked about COVID. Appreciate there is a lot of COVID fatigue out there at the moment. So we'll keep this one short. You did mention there was significant disruption to your business during the, the kind of two years of, of the most severe COVID restrictions. And of course, there were some very severe restrictions in India. How did you kind of circumnavigate these restrictions and muddle on through that COVID period? So Ben, the first time that this was coming and the, the way that it kind of took off uh, like a hockey stick, and then we went all went into a lockdown. To be honest, we were not sure whether businesses will restart again or not. And we were not sure whether us or most of us will kind of survive through this economically. However, as it was kind of sinking in, what we did was that we ensured the raw material supply, you know, because most of the raw materials still come from outside and the supply chains were completely disrupted. So I think it was our good old relationships uh, with some of these uh, multinational suppliers, including the stock that we carry which is very unusual in India that people don't do that. All that came in handy and that, uh, you know, sort of helped us see through the first couple of months. I know there have been waves. So one of the waves which was extremely bad was uh, the year 21, you know, the April, May, June uh, wave, where, again, a shortage of hospitals, medicines, oxygen, all that was happening. People were just not venturing out. And uh, so one of the steps that we took was what we call as sleep well at home. So I, we know that none of the people were coming out to the shops to buy. We would then seek a little appointment with them and take the product to their homes and show them. In fact, even when the lockdown is now opening up, this continues to be as a good uh, way. People can see it in the realms of their home. The entire family can be there to take a call. And, you know, it's convenience to a great extent. So these were some of the steps that, that we took. But definitely, the decision-making was much more centralized, quicker, and ensuring that the basic stuff was happening. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, in, in a sense, COVID brought about some opportunity for you to change the business a little bit and change the way you interact with consumers and customers. And, and this is carried on in kind of a post-COVID world, which is great. Yeah, I was just uh, reminded of... Uh, the COVID uh, realities like a Zoom call or, you know, instead of visiting and I don't need to go so often to Australia for board meetings and we can have them quicker and better. But let me say that first one and a half, two years, it felt, wow, why did we not do this before? But I think it was uh, multiple or decades of relationships, which kind of the momentum carried on to the, that period. As uh, we are now two, two and a half years uh, into it, the need for 
renewing or renovating the relationships are there, you know. So I think uh, as we go forward, there'll be a mix of both. Uh, I will not have four visits to Australia, but would probably have two and longer period. That's just a change. I totally agree. And it's exactly the same in our business as well. The kind of hybrid of, of Zoom versus travel and, and face-to-face meetings is probably the healthy balance rather than doing everything right remotely and via Zoom teams. Conscious of time, but one final question that I do ask all of my guests that come on the show is, what one thing would you like our listeners to think differently about India or the India story? Again, you've referenced there, you spent time in Australia, Spain, New Zealand for work. You must hear all kinds of preconceptions about India. Some might be right, some might be wrong. But what would you kind of like people to go away thinking differently? And it, it can be related to your business and sleeping and or it can be something completely different but it'd be great to get your thoughts on this if i look at all the issues which are necessary for business and economic things to kind of move on i find that they are existing in india or they are coming together in india at this time let's say it's an era or a period of time when stuff like democracy is going to be there and therefore it's a very comforting thing for anybody to do business in the demographics are like that. The median age of uh, Indian is only 28 years at the moment, which means productive period is there for them to work hard and deliver. And the second is when they have the money, it's also to consume, you know, whether it's a, a television or it's a refrigerator or it's a mattress that they would do that. The basic demand is existing. And I keep noticing this on a daily basis that it's like many of these vectors which are coming together and creating that time where India will have a good and a great future in the coming times. If I was to just say one thing to anybody and everybody, that please don't ignore India. Just be there and be connected. Fantastic. In the recent past, we have had, uh, I mean, the erstwhile prime minister of uh, uh, UK coming in, Boris uh, came in, and in fact, he was uh, so forthright on saying that uh, nobody can afford to not to participate in India. And we have had uh, a spate of visitors who are uh, like the president of the European Union was here, the Australian uh, prime minister was here. I think it's you can feel it that politically and otherwise, it's all kind of coming together. So please don't ignore India. That's well, I think it's a lovely place to finish. Don't ignore India might be the tagline for season three of my podcast so thank you Raul thank you Ben but no thank you very very much for coming on and speaking with me today for our fascinating story congratulations on on 50 fantastic years with Sheila Firm and we look forward to what might come next for you guys so yeah we look forward to keeping in touch with you and, and watching your story develop thank you Ben thanks a lot you have been listening to Inside India with me Ben Haywood If you like what you have heard, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or indeed, wherever you might listen. Don't forget to leave a review and a rating and tell us about your favorite episode. We will be back with a brand new episode in two weeks time. Until then, stay safe.